You know, it's not easy to accept someone with whom you disagree. And surprise, even Christians disagree. Hopefully we can agree on the basics, the essentials. We can agree on those things that are spelled out for us in Scripture. But God has left many things in the realm of opinion. And in those matters, he has given us the liberty to disagree. We are, however, never to be disagreeable. Nor are we to reject a brother because of differences of opinion. And Paul made that very clear to us last week as we studied the 14th chapter of Romans. Well, he continues now in the 15th chapter, making it very clear that we can indeed accept one another. And to that end, in effect, he says, here's the plan and here's the proof. We begin with the plan, chapter 15. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached thee fell upon me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those six verses can actually be viewed as six steps that lead to our acceptance of one another. And the first step is quite simply, don't please yourself. Now, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Now, notice this is addressed to we who are strong. And the strong, as we discovered in chapter 14, are Christians without scruples, without doubts as to whether a given activity is right or wrong. The strong Paul was addressing were those Christians who believed, who had faith, that it was all right to eat meat, and who didn't believe it was necessary to observe special days, Sabbaths, and festivals in order to please God. The weak, on the other hand, were afraid that by eating meat they might inadvertently eat something that wasn't kosher or that had been offered to idols and thereby offend God. And they observed special days because their Jewish ancestors had done so. And they were not convinced that God wanted those Jewish observances dropped. Well, obviously, this had potential to create a lot of tension in the church. The strong were convinced the old food related taboos were lifted 
when Jesus said it wasn't what went into a man that defiled him, but what came out. And when Peter was given the vision of clean and unclean animals and told to eat and not to refuse what God had made clean. They also believed that when Jesus refused to observe the strict Sabbath laws of his day and even said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath, he was freeing the church from the need to observe the Jewish holy days. I think you can see the problem. If those who felt that way scheduled an all-church pig roast on the Day of Atonement, <laughs> it just wouldn't go well. It wouldn't work. You know, they may have been theologically free to do so, they may have even enjoyed it immensely, but it would have offended many in the church. And therefore, should not be done. Paul said the strong were to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. They were to yield their rights for the sake of their weaker brothers. And obviously, it is the stronger brother who has to yield in these situations. It wouldn't violate the stronger brother's conscience not to eat meat, but it would offend the weaker to do so. So the stronger is obligated to limit his freedom for the sake of his brother's conscience. We talked about that in detail last week and discerned that is one of the most difficult aspects of not judging our brother, being willing to give up some right that we have for the sake of our brother, to avoid offending him or causing him to stumble. The first step in getting along with each other is quite simply don't put yourself first. Don't just please yourself. The next step is obviously please your neighbor. Paul continues, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to his edification. Now, this is not saying we must always do what others think we should do. That at all costs, we should try to keep everyone happy. There's no way we're going to please everyone all the time. And there are times when we shouldn't even try, when we shouldn't give in. Notice that Paul modifies the command to please our neighbor by adding for his good, to his edification. If giving in to my brother is just going to make him more demanding and more judgmental, it may be in his best interest for me to go ahead and do something that I know he doesn't think I should do. Besides, it's not good to allow the extremely rigid and narrow-minded to suck all the joy out of life by living in fear that we might offend them. We could be paralyzed from doing anything if we thought someone might be offended by it. I don't think that is what Paul is telling us to do here. However... If, by yielding my rights in a particular matter, I avoid creating a problem for my brother, 
and I make it easier for him to follow his conscience in serving God, then I yield. The bottom line is that I must put his needs before my desires. I don't please myself. I please my neighbor. And in doing so, I seek to be like Jesus. And that is the third step. Be like Christ. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach thee fell on me. You know, Jesus didn't come to earth to please himself. He came to give himself. He willingly gave up his rights as creator God to become our savior. And as he said in John 8, 29, I always do what pleases him. Even if it brought reproach on him, Jesus was willing to do the Father's will, and so should we. Jesus is our example. If he was willing to yield his rights according to God's will for our sake, we should be willing to yield our rights for the sake of a brother. That is step number three. Be like Christ. Step number four is read the word. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. You know, not only do we find God's plan and promise in his word, we also find examples of those who have been faithful to his will. And those examples were recorded to give us perseverance and encouragement. It's a whole lot easier to go the second mile for a brother when we're reminded that Abraham let Lot choose the choicest fields for his flock. That Moses willingly forsook the pleasures of Pharaoh's court to be able to identify with God's people. That Jonathan gave up his rights as heir to the throne so he could remain David's friend. And that John the Baptist said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. We find in scripture the encouragement to be what God wants us to be. And we find in prayer the power to become what he wants us to be. And that is step number five. Pray for unity. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. God grants us the perseverance and encouragement we need if we ask for it. He will enable us to be of the same mind. He will enable us to overcome our differences and focus on the things that unite us rather than the things that could divide us. 
if we'll ask him to make us of one mind. He'll give us a unified voice if our overriding desire is to glorify the Father. And that is step number six. Glorify the Father. That with one accord, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, God is glorified when his children speak with one voice. More than a desire to promote our personal agendas should be the desire to promote God's agenda. And God's agenda is promoted when there is unity in the church. In his high priestly prayer, Jesus prayed that we would all be one so the world would believe that God had sent him. Nothing destroys the witness of a church more than division caused by brothers who won't yield on matters of opinion. We must accept one another. And we can if we follow the plan. And here's the proof. Wherefore, Accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will give praise to thee among the Gentiles, and I will sing to thy name. And again he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jews and Gentiles hated each other. To a Jew, a Gentile did nothing right. He ate the wrong food. He read the wrong books. He followed the wrong leaders. He observed the wrong customs. He even spoke the wrong language. And because of Jewish attitudes and practices, anti-Semitism was rampant in the Roman world. There was huge cultural division in the world between those who called themselves the people of God and everyone else. In some respects, not unlike what we experience today. But in spite of that, in spite of that huge gulf that separated Jews from Gentiles, Jesus broke down the dividing wall between them and made of both Jews and Gentiles one church. He didn't make two churches. He didn't have two plans. 
He brought them together in one church. How did he do it? He did it by accepting both groups and by meeting the needs they each had. He became, or he, he came as a Jew to the Jews to confirm the promises concerning a Messiah. And yet he offered mercy and hope to the nations that sat in darkness, fulfilling numerous prophecies that one day Gentiles would praise God and be numbered with God's people. He was willing to become Savior to Jew and Gentile alike. And then he commissioned his Jewish apostles to go into the remotest part of the earth and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he had commanded everyone who wanted to be a part of his kingdom. And he promised to be with them, guiding and enabling them to the end of the age. The apostles took that commission seriously. And though it was hard, it was hard for them to break out of the bondage of cultural distinctions. We know Peter struggled with it. When no one else was around and he was with the Gentiles, he ate with them. But when some Jews showed up, he backed off. It was not easy for the apostles to minister to those they had been taught from childhood were, were dogs and evil and dirty. It was very, very hard. But they tried. And then, to give added impetus in that direction, God even commissioned from heaven another apostle to specifically become the apostle to the Gentiles. And that man, of course, was the apostle Paul. And by the time of the writing of Romans... There were probably more Gentile Christians than Jewish Christians. Now, they still had their differences. They still disagreed on some things. They still practiced some things differently. But they were one body. It wasn't easy overcoming differences. But they were doing it. And they were doing it by not pleasing themselves but seeking to please their neighbor, by striving to be like Christ and finding instruction and encouragement in his word, by praying for unity and committing themselves to bringing glory to God at all costs. They were doing it. And so can we. If Jews and Gentiles could overcome their differences Surely we can overcome the things that tend to divide believers today. We can sing praises to God, accompanied by an organ, a guitar, or no instrument at all, if it pleases our brother and helps him worship. Many of you are aware that, that Matt and Selena worship at a non-instrument church, a church of Christ in, in Tennessee. It's a small church. The church has had its issues. In fact, there have been times when I've encouraged Matt to just get out of there, but he stayed in there. 
And he started singing in church. And people heard him singing, and they invited him to come sing with their a cappella praise team. And he told me one day, he said, well, Dad, I guess if God has given me a gift, I've got to use it for him. So he did it. And he did it more and more. Before long, they were having him lead the a cappella praise team. And then some in the church said, well, you know, we praise God with our instruments, too. And while traditionally it's, it's taboo for churches of Christ to, to have instruments in worship, why don't we just have instruments after worship? <laughs> and so they had their a cappella praise time. They had their service, served the Lord's Supper, preached the word, had kind of a closing. And then those who wanted to leave after church was over could leave. And those who wanted to stay could sing some songs with instruments. It was kind of strange, but it worked. And before long, some started saying, well, you know, we don't really need to separate it out completely. Why don't we just bring some of those instruments into the earlier praise time? And, and the former preacher said, well, as, as long as we don't quit that a cappella singing, because that sounds so good. And it does. When you've got no instruments and you're singing parts, it's amazing. I mean, we struggle to just stay with the instrument. Uh, but to hear the parts is, is beautiful. And so they agreed, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. And so now Matt is kind of in charge of a combined praise time. And he says, it's going really good, Dad. He says, people are singing with each other because they've learned how to stop thinking of just what they want and think of their brother, think of their sister. Think of how can we be united how can we glorify God? You know, there are a lot of things that can divide a church. And people can, can get disenchanted, thinking, well, a church is not doing what the church ought to do, and decide they just have to leave. And, and that is such a sad, sad thing. But if we would focus on what we are accomplishing together in the kingdom of God and put aside our personal preferences not compare everything we see here with what we might see on TV or find at a mega church and just worship together. We can stay united. We can have one voice honoring God. Isn't that our desire? We give each other liberty in areas of opinion. And so we can sing hymns or choruses and when our praise team is gone, we can sing lots of hymns during Turkey Run Weekend. We're going to do it again this year, Lord willing. We can raise our hands or fold our arms. Now, you may have noticed some in our praise team are slipping that hand up every once in a while. You notice that? Sometimes that's a test of fellowship. We were part of a church years ago where that became a huge issue. Should we raise hands or not raise hands? And they raised hands to vote on whether they should raise hands or not. <laughs> yeah, you can worship God with your hands up, or you can sit there and go, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> you may have noted that's probably my response. That's okay. It's okay. You know, we can wear a tie, or we can wear a T-shirt. 
Matt's preacher wears skinny jeans. I'm not going to start that. <laughs> I couldn't get in if I wanted to. <laughs> but these things can divide churches. As crazy as that is. <laughs> I wrote this one. We can pierce our nose or powder it. <laughs> Whatever. We can drive SUVs or hug trees. We can recycle or throw it away. You know, we've got a recycle bin out here, and there are some in our church who faithfully haul that puppy somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it goes. I just throw stuff wherever I want to throw it. That's okay. It's okay. This one is really extreme. We can vote for Republican or a Democrat. I mean, or a Democrat. We can smoke or we can breathe. <laughs> we can drink a little. Notice, we can drink a little or not at all. We can eat fat or tofu. It doesn't really matter. None of these things matter enough to divide us. And they won't. Not if we'll follow the plan. Don't please yourself. Please your neighbor. Be like Christ. Read the word. Pray for unity. Glorify the Father. If we'll do that, the God of hope will fill us with all joy and peace. And will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise Paul gives us. Now, if you find it hard to accept a brother who differs from you in matters of opinion. Now, there are times when we're going to differ and have serious differences. Not of opinion, but of doctrine. We're not saying... Just put a blind eye out to differences and say, let's all be one. There are some things that divide God's people from those who refuse to acknowledge his lordship. But in matters of opinion, if you have a hard time accepting a brother who differs from you in a matter of opinion, instead of worrying about his heart, maybe you ought to worry about your own. And then ask God, to search it and cleanse it of the selfishness and the sin that makes it so hard to do what needs to be done for the sake of unity and for the sake of your brother. We can and we must accept each other.